Hello, and welcome to the Mystic Cast, where you join Jack Stafford and Deborah Littleboy, members of the Aetherius Society, the cosmic religion for the Aquarian Age, as we break down the barriers between religion, science, metaphysics, philosophy, and mysticism, all of which are really only aspects of the self-same quest for truth. Please note, this is an independent program not produced or fact-checked by the Aetherius Society. Today, our guest is Jeffrey Long. How are you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing very well. I'm I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for inviting me today. It's great to have a heavyweight such as yourself on. Normally, I just have to talk to Deborah, and so I'm great to have someone intellectual like yourself. I'm sure Deborah's intellectual. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm not, Jeffrey, but but uh, I am interested in the truth. So, very good. Well, that's that's the most important thing. And today we want to answer the question: uh, What is God, and what are we really here to do? So. If you could answer that for us, we'd really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing small, right? Just uh, <laughs> where we can. Okay. <laughs> no, but you're such a heavyweight. I mean, you you have a great in, uh, Hindu background, and uh, we've been watching all your videos, and um, I've already shared them with friends. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful work you're doing. Very kind of you. I, I'm grateful to hear you say it's good to know someone's listening. And uh, so I, I certainly appreciate it. And uh, I, I love this quest, this exploration. To me, this is what life is about. This is why we're here. And it has enriched my life enormously to have been on this path uh, because, uh, as some of you might know, I, I had some tragedies early in life. Uh, my uh, father was in a very bad accident, uh, eventually uh, lost his life. And this really kind of set me off on the journey. I think I was already interested in it. I already had some inclination toward spiritual life, but that accelerated it. And, uh, you know, yeah, why, why are we here and why are we here so briefly? It seems, uh, and, uh, at least to all appearances and why, uh, why do we suffer the things that we do and to undertake the spiritual journey and really start to get an understanding of the broader context of our lives, I think is, is profoundly reassuring and really, uh, just, it, it helps you just keep going from day to day. Right. And I love what you said at the start of it, you know, how science, uh, mystical experience, religion, philosophy, I mean, these are all facets of truth, right? And so what we want to do is explore those, integrate them as much as we can and keep learning more. Mm. Yeah. And I really love how you've come through different teachings. You you go through the ancient uh, Vedic texts and then you come through, you know, in the philosophical society. And these, um, and that really is the lineage of the 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 the, the Aetherius Society is based on this podcast is primarily for uh, members and sympathizers of the Aetherius Society. So it's great to hear, you know to hear what you can bring from uh, from your many years of study. Well, thank you, thank you. Let me bring in Deborah here because she's uh, she's been in contact with you and she has some uh, some great questions to kick us off. Okay. Well, yes, so many, so many questions. What would what would you say if somebody came sat before you and said, "Look, I don't really understand. I know there's something wrong. I don't get it. There's a lot of suffering. What can I do from today, from this moment, Jeffrey, from this next breath? What can I start to do to start to understand and make my life more um, pleasant?" Okay, very good. So the question is is a is a wonderful question. It's an urgent question. 
how do I make my life better now in light of everything? And I would recommend the practice of meditation, right? To uh, sit in a place where you won't be disturbed for some period of time, to sit with a straight back so that it's possible to breathe deeply and have a constant free flow of oxygen into the body, the carbon dioxide out of the body, to close the eyes, to shut out external distractions, and to begin focusing on the breath, to become present to the breath. We're breathing all the time, but we're normally not conscious of it. It's something that happens automatically. As I tell my students, uh, think of how stressful it would be if on top of everything else you had to remember to breathe, right? That, that would be one more thing you would have to do. Uh, our body takes care of that for us, but for a period of time, become conscious of the breath. Take charge of that process, right? There's something called mindful breathing where you take a deep breath, you take in as much air as you can into the lungs. And before releasing that breath, at the moment when you feel like exhaling, to pause briefly, not for a great length of time, uh, not holding the breath, but just maybe a second, to be aware that I am now exhaling. And you exhale and you have that experience. And at that point, when you start to feel the need to inhale again, you again pause. And say, now I'm going to inhale. So it becomes a deliberate conscious act. Now, the person might say, what does this have to do with all of my troubles in life? Well, the more you do this practice, this focus on the breath and being present to those sensations as you breathe in and breathe out, you find your mind becoming very cool, very serene. In uh, the classic text on meditation, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, it says in Sanskrit, Yoga chitta vritti nirodaha, which in English means yoga, and in this case he means meditation, is the calming of the waves of the mind. So the waves represent our thoughts, our conscious experiences, our emotions. And if you imagine a body of water like a lake, if there are a lot of waves on the surface, if there's a lot of turbulence, you really cannot see anything else. You, you can't see beneath those waves. But when the waves become calm, when a body of water is very still, you notice two things. One, you can see your reflection in that water. It becomes like a mirror, right? You can see it. There may be a mountain in the distance and you see another mountain reflected in the water. In the same way, our mind, when it's calm, accurately reflects the world around us. When the mind is turbulent, we see frightening things everywhere. Things become exaggerated. We get a, a funhouse mirror version of reality. And we see people living in that. If you watch the news or uh, even we ourselves do it sometimes, we get caught up in that and it can become a source of great anxiety. The mind is calm. We see things as, we, as they are. They remain in proportion. Also, if you look into the water that's calm, you can see beneath the surface. You can see the fish swimming. You can see the pebbles at the bottom. Similarly, our true self, which is divine, is always there. That higher consciousness is always present within us. And if we calm our conscious thoughts, if we calm those waves of the mind, that deeper self shines through. It's very joyful. It's very blissful. And it's, it's serenely aware of everything. And if you do this for even a few minutes a day, I have a good friend who's a Buddhist monk. He says even five minutes a day, right? Even as little as that will start to affect how you feel all of the time. 
And uh, in my own tradition, we do this for we twice a day. We meditate morning and evening uh, for it can be a few minutes or it can be longer, depending on what you want to, to do. But you need to do it regularly. And with that regular practice, sending your mind to that peaceful place becomes very easy. And it's almost as if time slows down. Things happen to us. And we, at one time, we would have reacted very rapidly and without thinking to those things, often with negativity. Now we, we have this almost a time-lapse experience where we maybe the same old thing happens that normally would upset us. And we say, okay, I can choose to become angry or I can choose to laugh or I can choose not to respond at all. I have the ability to control the waves of the mind and direct them as I wish. And I don't have to let this upset me. I can maybe think about it in a more constructive or creative way. And I can realize that nothing that happens out here can harm the real self that is there within us. So this is the advice I would want to give to someone uh, who is suffering. If they want to know, but, you know, if they don't ask me, I'll just listen and let them share and unburden themselves. But if they want to know, I'd say this practice is something very easy to do. And it doesn't require a belief system. I talked about the self being divine. If that bothers someone, they can just set that aside. Say, well, you're going to experience something and you're going to feel this, this calm and this serenity. And uh, just try it. Right? Just try it. And, uh, and the, the important thing is the, the regularity of the practice. Uh, it, it may feel good in the moment to meditate, but if it's not sustained, then your mind is soon back on its old track. But if you do this regularly, you're in effect reprogramming the mind to react to its experiences in a different way. Deborah's frozen there. <clears throat> I think so. Maybe she's just taking, taking it, acting out what you uh, just told her to do. Now, 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 now I, I see. I'm, yeah, I'm I, sorry, I, 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 I disconnected there. I'm awfully sorry, which is why I probably wasn't. We thought you were well, meditating. We thought you entered no, into it. No, you, you had achieved samadhi and you were. That would be a real coup if she got into samadhi. You would have seen me levitating at that stage. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that, that, that's, that's a way of my fear. If so, so we, I don't know whether Jack said this when I was, when I was off, <laughs> off somewhere else. It, that really mirrors what we're told by the, uh, an entity that we know as the master of Sirius. And he said that uh, you do your practices regularly, consistently, with good cheer. And now I, I'm okay with the regularly, but there's good cheer sometimes is a little bit. You can be very grumpy. Um, but, but I do remember that because we're, we're fortunate, as you know, to actually hear the vibration of the Master of Theories. I, I get reminded of exactly how he's he sounded as he came through Doc King. And that reminds me, it makes me smile. It's almost like Deborah with good yes. chin. Yes. But it's a, it's amazing how how just the the vibrations of our uh, instruction changes the whole uh, uh, my whole outlook really, which yeah. 
And when you have those experiences, it confirms this path, right? It becomes a matter not simply of belief, but of knowledge, right? Because you can't deny you've had the experience. It's, it's part of your reality then. Uh, I, I'm reminded of that very famous dialogue uh, with Carl Jung, where he was once asked, do you believe in God? And he started by saying no. And the interviewer thought, well, okay, okay, he's an atheist. But then he completed the sentence. He says, I don't believe, I know. And that that shocked the interviewers, not what they were expecting to hear. Uh, because when you've had some of these experiences, it becomes a, it, well, it becomes a self-certifying kind of, of, of reality, right? I don't question that I am talking to both of you right now. That's my reality. Now, I've been anticipating this, so maybe I'm dreaming about the conversation I will be having with you in a few hours. But um, in terms of my practical reality, that this is this is this is real, right? At the moment, and when we have these experiences of these higher entities uh, communing and communicating, uh, it it really confirms us. And in 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 this practice, I remember, and of course, you know, being in the academic world, you know, we we always it's our nature to ask skeptical questions. And I've I've thought before, you know, what if this is just some other part of myself that's speaking with me. Maybe it's, you know, not some divine higher reality. And the response I got back was, well, what's the difference? <laughs> right. That, that uh, you know, if if what you're receiving is positive and it's it's good and it's solidifying you in this um, practice that makes your life joyful, that makes you helpful to others, then where's the harm? I see that as um, sort of almost like lining up the holes that you're going to put the screw through. The more, the more that you can become in line with with the truth of who you are, mm. the further up you can see. Yes. Um, Very nice image. So, that. so that's that, that. So that's when. Um, yeah, that's right. It, it's it's you become. It's like the want and the need for me. You, we're told. We're taught. That you you might not get what you want, but you will always get what you need. Well, if I ne if I want what I need, everything I get is joyous. Exactly, exactly. Yes. So, so that so that's that's for me the lineup. But I have to remind myself of that, Jeffrey. So if I, if I went and felt fun over and and broke my leg in in a moment, I've had trouble um, reconciling that that was uh, what I wanted. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I actually had that experience in 2019. I fell and broke my ankle. And uh, uh, at the time, I, you know, I can't say it was pleasant, but I believe that because I've been practicing meditation for many years and I've been in this path for many years, it was a much easier experience than it would otherwise have been. And I was able to realize I'm not the body. I'm not my ankle. I actually apologized to my ankle. I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that I've caused you this pain. Uh, and uh, a doctor in the emergency room said, uh, uh, he said, I've never seen anyone who is so obviously in pain who's so cheerful. So what's what's your secret? And without even thinking, I just my mouth opened and I said that pain is in the body, suffering is in the mind. And uh, they, the doctors and the nurses, they said, oh, that, that's, that's very cool. And then they said, what do you do for a living? <laughs> so then I told them, you know, I... I teach about these things and so on, but it really helped me in, in uh, recovery uh, from that. And you know, and you think about the people who are suffering much, much worse things. Uh, sometimes the inner wounds are are much worse than the the physical ones, right? And 
So for me, it's like, well, this is a small thing. This will pass. I'll go through physical therapy. It will heal. And it has, and I can now run and, you know, do whatever I want. But uh, these experiences remind us uh, of these teachings. And I, I'm now grateful that I had that experience and I'm able to share with others, uh, you know, how it went for me because of this practice. Because if, if, if everything's going well and you say, well, this is because of my spiritual practice, someone might say, well, that's easy for you to say, you know, let there be some difficulty in life and see how cheerful you are, right? And that uh, going through that experience with that injury uh, was for me a kind of confirmation that I'm on the right, on the right path. Right. Mm. Yeah, Dr. King, um, I remember on a similar age to that, Dr. King was um, sat listening to a clairvoyant and she was, the lady was saying, well, you, you have to. Um, to get the highest states, you have to give up your clairvoyance because that's the lowest state. Gosh, and so you raise it up. And Dr. King raised his hand and he said, uh, but you've got to have that state of clairvoyance before ever you can give it up, my dear. And yes. so and she said, well, what, you know, how, why are you saying that? He says, because I have had that experience you have to have you have to have it to give it away you can't just say it she asked him how he knew she asked him how he knew and he said well i use my clairvoyant powers to tell you you'd never had clairvoyant powers was he's very much his sense of humor but one of the reasons one of the many reasons i love the, the master i <laughs> didn't I know what to say on. i don't think yeah. I, I wanted to point out something I, I observed that was very beautiful. Like when when uh, I became aware of the Aetherius Society and and looking at the materials online and so on, that uh, the spiritual practice that he taught it's called King Yoga, I believe, and that echoes in the Vedanta tradition Raja Yoga, which means exactly the same thing, right? Yeah. That uh, uh, there's a kind of very interesting resonance there, but it was a different language, but. Uh, still the idea that this is a royal path in a certain sense. And uh, uh, the fact that his name was King, I mean, just, it's this wonderful yeah. synchronicity of, of uh, these things. Well, Dr. King was a, a master of yoga and I think eight yogas. I'm trying to look it up so I don't misquote, but um, he, his preference was Raja yoga. That was his preference. Yeah. Um, but he was told by the cosmic masters, no, 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 no. In this age, it's calming over service to selfish service to others, because the time is running out. That by the the earth has had her initiation, the vibrations are rising, and we're all in this together. Yes, and we won't want to be our brother's keeper. No, we no, we might not like that, but actually, I don't care. It doesn't really matter. That you like it well you've <laughs> got to rise above that pettiness of likes and dislikes but the the yoga of the day i've got a good now. quote deborah maybe i could read that yeah, I found. he says about raja yoga dr king says i like the tremendous mental stresses that you have to put upon certain psychic centers in certain deeper forms of raja yoga i like the fact that if you make a mistake you will land up a raving idiot I like these things. There's danger. Here is a greatness. In these days, this karma yoga offers to others union with God, 
through service to others is the yoga. All else is second place. Even the great Raja is second place. Nani is second place. So he, he yeah. This, this is what Swami Vivekananda taught as well. I mean, he was very much in tune with this same uh, message that, uh, uh, it, and uh, he makes reference to the ancient Indian belief that there were earlier times in history when other yogas were predominant. And people in those eras were capable of some of those higher practices. And he said, today, it, it, it is karma yoga. And you can really see that because the, the suffering is so great in the world. The need is so great that if we serve selflessly, we're, we're, doing, we're, we're addressing that need as best we can. Yeah, there's a great quote from Mars to Six about uh, come, people who go into the caves to meditate, come, come ye forth, for ye are fools. It's like... Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, very, very from the hip teachings, because of the ethereal society, you can be left in, at the, at the basic level, you can be left in no doubt, unless you really choose to be, <laughs> choose not, choose not to um, listen to it. So, yeah. That's right. It was, it was interesting, you mentioned Vivekananda, I was watching some of your lectures and I saw you were very interested in him uh, I actually did a little search through uh, Dr. King's lectures to find where he mentioned him because he was uh, Dr. King also really admired uh, Vivekananda. He uh, one of the quite a few of the quotes were about uh, that said Vivekananda was one of the greatest hypnotists of the modern the modern times. One one time an English doctor he was an English doctor and a man was walking across a bridge and he hypnotized the man from a distance and then when he reached the middle of the bridge. Um, and he says, the re you see the real power of hypnosis and Vivekananda would never hypnotize anyone once he'd mastered it. He said that uh, you shouldn't, shouldn't use it. It's too powerful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the wrong hands, you know, it, and, and this is why it's so interesting. Like in, in the Yoga Sutra, for example, that, um, and students will sometimes say, why are they talking about that? But the first stages are about moral perfections, nonviolence, truth telling, and so on. Why does that matter? Well, if you haven't internalized those, then when these siddhis, when these powers come, you might do the wrong thing, right? And there are all kinds of stories in both the Hindu and Buddhist traditions of people getting very bad karma from uh, abusing those powers. And uh, yeah, they're temptations, really, to be, you know, master them and then move on to the next level. That's exactly what we've heard, yes. Yeah, exactly that. He, well, also sorry. he also mentioned, uh, I've got a few quotes here. I'll nip through them quite quickly then. Uh, he talks about the fifth freedom from uh, the nine freedoms, uh, cosmic consciousness. And he says, "View very few people have, have experienced this. Uh, Yogananda, Yogananda wrote, wrote a book in the autobiography of Yogi. He wrote about his experiences. And uh, he says the great Swim Swami Vivekananda experienced cosmic consciousness in which he became one with all things. And he, uh, he couldn't even walk across the grass because he'd been at one with the grass. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that story as well. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Makes you hard to be even a vegetarian, though, if you can. That's right. That's right. You know, because when, when we are sustaining these bodies, we're taking energy from somewhere, and that energy someone else has been using, right? So uh, that's right. And uh, I know in the, in the Jain tradition, which I've also studied, and this is one of the reasons that people aim for spiritual liberation is to reach a state where we're no longer sort of predatory upon our environment, where we really are truly free and self-sustaining. 
And the last thing I thought about was uh, because we believe that um, that these cosmic avatars come to Earth and they give us the great teachings. So Jesus, Sri Krishna, uh, the Buddha, they're all supermen to us. They've come from other other planets to incarnate through us to take on karma, which is something you talk a lot about. And uh, Swami Vivekananda, we believe, was one of these as well. And uh, he said that uh, the same phenomena is seen. Uh, a light was seen to go through the heavens and hovered over a certain house. Um, and this has happened in, you know, with the, the stars in the sky above, you know, the star of Bethlehem, many other, the Buddha had, I think, five stars. Um, so, you know, when Vivekananda chose to leave his physical body, he knew exactly what, to the second when he was going to leave. Um, so, yeah, I thought you'd be interested in a few quotes about that. That's wonderful. Yo, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I love seeing the sort of alignment and harmony and connection of, of, of these teachers and their teachings. Yes. You have something to add, Deborah? Yeah, I'm sure you... Well, I did, but like I've got a goldfish memory. It's completely... I had, I had a whole raft of things that I was like itching to talk about and they've just they've just completely just disappeared oh they'll come back they'll come back <laughs> with the bottom of my feet i think they they all went jeffrey i don't quite know why um but anyway yeah so no jack back to you oh well well I'm just um, so when you heard about this this society isn't it funny that a man of your education i'm always surprised when people haven't heard about this society because it does fit on top of the ancient teachings on top of theosophy yes um no, I've I've been very impressed with what I've learned, and uh, and yeah, and and it, it it was striking to me that I had not come across uh, the Ethereum Society before because I've studied uh, various traditions and and uh, groups, organizations that have these kind of interests, and uh, studied many, participated uh, in some, and so um, this one really intrigued me. And uh, I would say one thing that I found especially interesting, and one is of course yeah this wonderful harmony of the teachings. And to me, that shows the the validity uh, of it, right? Because it's it's articulating uh, these truths. And uh, once you uh, once you start, start looking at the way it's presented, uh, one thing I think is very interesting is the idea of the masters being from specific planets, planets even of our solar system. Because if you look at it from a sort of materialistic perspective, uh, from perspective of contemporary science, doesn't look like there's much in the way of life in the solar system, right, beyond Earth, maybe something once on Mars, maybe something under the oceans of Europa or Iapetus or Titan, you know, out out uh, in, in further space. But the idea that th these teachers are operating on a different vibrational frequency, different plane from the physical. And I was reading that, I was like, well, that makes perfect sense, because they wouldn't then be detectable by sensory means, right? By conventional means. They'd be operating on a different level because you also have the idea in the Indian traditions as well that we are also simultaneously, while we are in these manifesting as these physical forms, we also have other bodies that are uh, that we experience in dream states and various meditative states and so on, the subtle bodies as they're called in the Indian traditions. And they also aren't uh, you know, detectable necessarily to the senses. And so that made perfect sense to me. I said, okay, this this uh, would, you know, if we were talking about life in a kind of material sense, uh, you might read that and say, well, 
you know, there's no life on Venus. How could there be a master from Venus? But if you're talking about another plane, uh, then, well, of course there can't be, right? Because we're, we're talking about uh, something that we don't have a, you know, a, a telescope for, right? At least mm. yet, maybe someday, but it's not uh, something that is uh, uh, evident to the senses. But it's one of these experiences, it sounds like, that Dr. King had, that he had these communications. And my sense is always that, you know, if, if what the masters are telling you in one area is true and, you know, we can, we can test it in our own lives, then uh, it would make sense that uh, the other aspects would also be as well, right? They, they, they wouldn't, yeah, uh, yeah. they wouldn't say, okay, we're going to give some genuine spiritual teaching and then we're going to make up a story about being from Venus, right? That doesn't compute, right? So um, this, uh, this idea makes, uh, I think, a lot of sense that, uh, you know, when, when we're talking about entities of these kinds, we're not talking about the physical world necessarily. Mm. That really resonates because people say, how do you know? You don't know. What do you, you know, but I'm taking the advice of people who've given me directions to other places and I arrived there and they've given me directions of to these and they've described the other place. You know, I'd have never been to China, but I've heard enough people describe it and they've told. So when you meet, when you hear someone who's really telling you wise truths that resonate and then they, they tell you further things, then it's a matter of logic and discernment, discernment to, to believe them. Precise, precise. No, no. I, I just I, I find it fascinating, and the direction my thought has been taking in recent years has been toward uh, thinking of uh, the planets themselves as living beings. You know, and and uh, stars. Many astronomers talk about the lives of stars, and maybe they're speaking metaphorically, but they go through definite stages, and they as you know, above they, as below. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so we are like that. So, you know, why could we not see that as life? Uh, this is certainly the Mahabindus, no. Yeah, Maha, exactly. Yeah. And it's uh, all in the teachings as well, isn't it? I mean, the um you know, the I'm from the bright and morning star and uh you know, it's all in the in the ancient Vedic texts as well, the Bhagavad Gita and the absolutely. It's just encoded language, you know. That's right. And if you read it through the lens of the, the these ideas that you find in the Ethereum society, it's again very logical, right? The the, the stories then flow very well. Yeah, what we've what I've um, brought there is is from our practices, which is the twelve blessings, yes. and the eighth blessing is to the mighty sun. And we're told here that um, at the end of the blessing, Master Jesus says, "If you, my children, would change from men to God men, that in itself is is very telling, isn't it?" Aquarian but, age uh, teaching too. Uh, you would send your love. And we know that love is an energy, not some wishy-washy um, emotion. Send your love always towards this great being. So it's a being. It's not a, a just a something else. It's a being, right? For which you now take for granted and don't reject. Yeah. But then, for this is the God of your Bible. This is the Brahma of the Hindu scripts. When I read that, Jeffrey, in fact, it's done it, done it to me again now. It was like, what? Really? It spoke the word, yeah. You had to trick it and thought, well, really, why, why? Of course it is. Yes. You know, of course it is. We know that, uh, that we get all of our energy, love, from the sun. And he suppose and this is the nearest thing to God in your concept of manifestation. And you hear, and I, and I felt like I'm going, 
Yeah, you're right, Jesus. He's got his answer sonic there. Mark well, O children, these words, for you will see them written again in the book of records. So the Akashic records are real. So he's like, oh, yes, that's true. That's Jesus says that's real. Do I believe this was, this was Jesus speaking to Dr. King? Yes, I do. Why? Because I've felt the vibrations of it. I've practiced it. It feels good. So on that, on that same foundation. But wait ye not until then, for present action must be your guide. A direction. Do this work. I, I, you know, this is not a theory. This is, this is something I've given you. It's easy. Even you can do this, Deborah. <laughs> you know, just get on with it. And the more you practice it, the better you'll be. And then Master of Theorists comes in, but with good cheer. Yes. No, no, no. no. That wouldn't be sending grumpy energy out there. That's right. That's right. There's plenty Mm. of that already, right? Yes. (laughs) Well, in our our email correspondence, you had compared uh, the 12 blessings to uh, the Bhagavad Gita, which I think is a very good comparison because you have as a very high metaphysics, but always oriented toward action. Right? What, what, so, okay, so what? Now, what do we do? And this is a theme that I see that's shared across both of those. And it's always interesting you know, that the Gita is taught by Lord Krishna to Arjuna, who's a warrior. He's a person of action, right? He's not a contemplative in a cave, right? And he wants to know what he should do, right? And so that's us in this particular era of history, too, right? We're very practically oriented. And necessarily so. I mean, that's what we're mastering, I think, at this at this stage in our journey. So the 12 blessings fit, fits right with that. And the, uh, the idea of the sun, as you were mentioning, you know, as, as manifestation of that infinite divine energy. Uh, one of the oldest Hindu prayers, the Gayatri Mantra, is a prayer to God as the sun, right? And uh, the prayer, this it says, uh, uh, Om Pur Bhuvaswaha. Which roughly means uh, we salute, we honor the beautiful light of the rising sun. May it illumine our minds and it inspire our thoughts. And traditionally, the Brahmins in India have, have uh, observant ones have uh, prayed that prayer every day at sunrise. And it's a very, very ancient part of the Hindu tradition. It's that verse I chant is from the Rig Veda. So it's very, very old. And it resonates with this message in the, uh, in the uh, 12 blessings as well. Mm. It's like a decree, isn't it? So it's like a spell almost, if you're going to put it into Deborah language, that you know it's going to work. Why do you know it's going to work? Because you can feel the energy and you've read enough and you've, and you've tested enough to believe it, which is going back to what Jack says. So, when you stand there and you do the blessings, you're invoking that energy. You you know that as as you ask, so it will be given to you. And so therefore you 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 know it's not it's not, oh, wouldn't that be nice? The more that you can focus and you know it, the stronger the focus is. Um, and I think that that is so is incredible for the for the average person to understand that they're not powerless. No, no, but they're only powerless because they don't use power. Right. 
Right. right. Only but we have, the, we have this sort of veil of ignorance uh, over us that we haven't yet completely penetrated. And these teachings uh, from all the masters, right, from, from, from the various traditions, you know, they're all sort of telling us, open your eyes, open your eyes, open your eyes. And that's the, it reminds me of a story. Uh, I have a very good friend from Hawaii. And uh, when I visited him once, he took me on a little tour of Oahu. And there was this uh, uh, sort of little cove. And uh, there are people who surf there. It's sort of popular. But uh, there are very high waves there. And it creates the impression that the water is is deeper than it really is. And he told me a story of how there was a, there was a man once who started to drown. And he was caught in these waves and he was calling out, help, help. And there was a lifeguard uh, nearby who took a megaphone and said, stand up. And the man just put his legs down and the water was only about chest. <laughs> in fact, he just had to put his feet down, stand up and he was safe. And he's, ah, now I'm not drowning anymore. I think we're like that man, right? We, we feel like we're drowning in all of this, you know, this Maya, this, uh, you know, uh, this delusional thought that we have. And you know, if we just stand up, right? If we put our feet firmly on the ground of spiritual practice and spiritual teaching, then the problem just goes away very often. I heard you I talking a in a lecture, I think. Sorry, I'm always interrupting. Oh, no, Please go ahead. Going... Oh, okay. So, well, I just, I just very briefly mentioned a very powerful experience I had. Um, there was a person I was had some conflict with, and I was troubled by it. And one of the sacred figures to whom we turn in my traditions, we call the Holy Mother. Uh, she was the wife of Sri Ramakrishna, who was the teacher of, of Swami Vivekananda. And uh, I got a very clear message saying, make peace. And uh, I was a little resistant to that. It was like you were saying, Deborah, about the cheerful thing. It was like, well, this person's done this, and they've done this, and they've done this, and what about that? And then I got the message back again, a little more insistently, make peace. So I said, okay, this is what I have to do. So I was supposed to meet that person, and uh, uh, I did. And what I did, rather than feel very guarded and defensive as I tended to with this person because of other things that had been said and done in the past, I just went cheerfully. I went, uh, you know, uh, I, I said, I'm going to treat this person like I do everyone else. And we went, we had a very pleasant conversation. And from that point on, the, our conflict was gone. It was as if it had evaporated. And we didn't resolve it, right? We didn't try to talk through issues. We didn't say, well, you said this, and well, you said this. We just kind of let it go. And it was beautiful. It, it, it's, it's resolved itself. It, it was, uh, uh, I, that's a very, to me, a very powerful thing. That for, for me, that's tangible proof that what I received was true and it was from a reliable source. I actually heard a lecture from Dr. King this morning ties in with what you're saying about, uh, well, we said all the teachings fit together, you know, because it's, you've also talked about the elephant, you know, and how we, we feel the different parts of the elephant to get the, to get the whole truth. And yeah, but also that the, the masters are really saying one thing very simply, but they have to say it hundreds of different times in thousands of different ways. Um, and you talk about moksha and like, I've heard it said that the teachings that ignorance is the only crime. Um, if you take, if you're doing everything, it doesn't matter if you don't know you're breaking a law. You can't tell that to a policeman, and it's the same with the law of karma. If you break the law, you 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 must must be taught a lesson. You must learn, and so that's how the. And and I was thinking, I can't remember if you said this, but in one of your lectures, but uh, ignorance is caused is caused by our involution, or our involution caused our ignorance. 
Like right. truth has two poles. I don't know if that's. Yeah, this is so, this is from something I'm I'm actually still working on. I, g- I gave a talk on this not long ago. Uh, it was uh, uh, why the yogas work, right? What is it? What is the function of the yogas? And the question takes you to the very nature of creation, which, as I understand it, and this is this is shaped by the teaching of Swami Vivekananda and the Advaita Vedanta tradition, that creation itself involves introducing differentiation where there is originally oneness. So there's originally oneness. The infinite is infinite being, infinite consciousness, infinite bliss, Satchidananda, as we say in, in the tradition. And in order for there to be a world, there has to be variety, right? There, there are people and plants and animals, molecules and all of these things. So the process involves a kind of voluntary differentiation of the one into the many. But a byproduct of that is that we, those little parts that have been differentiated, uh, have a forgetfulness of, of our original oneness and our true nature. It's not a complete forgetfulness because if it were, we, we could never return back to the source. And, and we do. Right? We know beings who have. So we, we've, uh, I like to say the veil of Maya is uh, translucent. It's not opaque, right? But there is that veil, and so we see ourselves as separate beings with separate interests. That makes conflict possible. That makes violence possible. That makes suffering come about. And the thing is that's so beautiful is that this is really just a phase in the larger scheme of things, that the behind this differentiation is also a pull to return back to the oneness, but to return with a deeper appreciation right, of of the fullness of what that infinite reality is. And I, uh, I, I use a metaphor sometimes to uh, describe this. Uh, the, the, I find this works very well with my students, many of whom have pets. I say, you have a little dog whom you love very much and you love spending time with your little dog, but then your little dog gets lost. And for a few days you're frantic because where's my little dog? And you put up signs and you put up notices everywhere. Please return my dog. And then a few days later, someone calls. They say, ah, I have your little dog. And they bring the dog back home. And there's this beautiful, happy reunion. And, and I say to the students, what's more joyful, just sort of having your little dog there with you or that moment of, you know, uh, and I think of the Bible, you know, my son was lost, now he is found, right? That, 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 that joyful reunion. And so the, the brilliance of the cosmic mind is that it creates <laughs> that for itself by differentiating and separating into all of us that creates the possibility of this beautiful return when we come back and are reunited with, as my own teacher would say, that which we've never really been separated from. But we have, for us, that was a real separation, right? We felt it as a real separation. We return and it's it's that, that infinite bliss, that infinite joy can really be felt. So uh, it's almost, it seems, uh, yeah, built into our involution into this material world that we are going to have those experiences but ultimately the the aim of it is that return back to back to the infinite as the Hare Krishna say back to godhead right this is where we're all headed yeah that's in all the teachings and uh, one of our guests said uh, a nice quotes uh, look suffering is separation you know once you've experienced an NDE or a, a higher state of consciousness to be away from that to be out of the bliss then you can begin to be experience suffering and and they talk about sacrifice and in the uh in the 12 blessings they also they talk about how the great 
being suffer and i'm saying you know i'm little lower self me is saying like how can they suffer you know they're great beings they just they're great but maybe they're the more you know the 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 more higher you've experienced the greater the suffering to be separated from it and you know we we don't have that you know i have no experience of the divine so i don't suffer you know ignorance is is bliss or is it suffering or is it the crime i don't know but what i also wanted to say was <laughs> let me just finish what i originally wanted to say was um about how the uh there was originally i heard there was one yoga there is no point in one yoga there's one of everything there's one energy there's one truth there's one god there must be one yoga and it's it's split up over time you know patanjali came down and you know broke up a bit of it and gave us that you know so there's there's nani yoga raja yoga and kami yoga, all the yogas but and that, that's like there's all there is we exist in a sea of mind but consciousness is mind slowed down so each of the chakras slows down consciousness slows down mind to so that we can experience a level of consciousness and you know what we're at, we're at that level we vibrate at so as we get more we can get more of the and unify the teachings and and raise our consciousness and we perceive more of it directly ourselves it becomes knowledge um goes from being theory yeah. or an article of faith being a to, knower. to knowledge yeah. yeah i'm still and we can share our stories as we go back on other experiences saving all your bus tickets and your photographs and and then just you know well i experience this and i'm just yeah it's going to be marvelous it's going to be more of this. Yeah. Reunion. Yes. Well, talking of separation, it's probably time we uh, we wind this up. So uh, it's flown by the time. Uh, it, it it has. I have to agree. I feel like we're just getting started. But, well, you'll uh, just have to come back on. Well, you know, let me know and I'll be very happy to. And, and uh, I really have enjoyed uh, our conversation. Uh, I'm my, this physical body is in my uh, office on campus right now. So this is uh, here at Elizabethtown College. Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm, sometimes I might be speaking to you from another room with even more books behind me. That's my office at home, which is very nearby. Uh, and uh, it's it's just been my pleasure to have the two of you here in my office today. It's been wonderful. And how can people follow you and find out more and, and get more of your what you've been talking about? Well, I really should develop a website uh, because uh, the, I'm now accumulating enough material uh, that I should... Uh, if people are more inclined to read, I would say they can. There's a website called academia.edu. Uh, they can look me up there, Jeffrey D. Long. It's J E F F E R Y, kind of an odd spelling, but I'm named after my father, so I don't change it. Uh, e R Y, uh, Jeffrey D. Long. Many of my publications and papers and are, are there, and links to Google Books for for my books. Um, and uh, if people are more inclined to watch and listen, uh, something like like a podcast, something visual, uh, if you just put my name into YouTube, a bunch of things from the Vedanta Society of New York appear there. I've given many presentations there. I'll be giving another one on 8th of October. Uh, the Swami in charge of Swami Savapriyananda. In fact, I recommend his uh, uh, videos. He, he has a very large following, uh, just a brilliant uh, presenter of Vedanta philosophy. And uh, uh, but he he has me uh, guest lecture there sometimes. And I, I think a few other uh, snippets of, of things I've done are there as well. So there's there's YouTube. Um, I guess I should I should develop my own website that could be a central 
uh, clearing house for all of this. That's on my to-do list, but, uh, <laughs> but for long now, list. yeah, yeah, long list, but for now the academia.edu is good, uh, for reading and YouTube is good for watching and listening. All right. Wonderful. And if people want to learn more about the Ethereum society, they can go to ethereist.org. Thank That's you, Jeffrey. Very good. And I recommend everyone does. So thank very you, good. Jeffrey. Thank you. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you both. Bye-bye. Namaste.